Hi, it's Paul. Hi, it's Damo. And it's time for the PD Sports Podcast. With Damo and Paul. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 46 of the PD Sports Podcast. I am here once again with Damo. It's been another huge week in sport. Dame, how you going? Not bad, mate. Not bad at all. Huge week in sport in the Prem, huge week in other sports like Formula One, and even a huge week in amateur sport as well. It is going to be an absolute blockbuster of an episode. And, well, look, we're only four away from the 50 as well. Yeah, exactly. So we're just marching on, which the Premier League season is doing currently at the moment. I feel like there's just games galore and there's still games to go and there's double match weeks and everything's all sort of unfolding. And I think there's only one place to start. And it's probably the game from this morning, which has forced us to actually record on a Tuesday, which is a bit unorthodox for us. But Man City, Crystal Palace, I'm assuming if you're listening to this, you probably know the result. So Crystal Palace have done Liverpool a massive, massive favour in securing a draw in that game. And the fun stat is, I think it was 54 or 56 days ago, we were 13 points behind. And if we get a win on Thursday morning, Friday morning, whatever it is, we are one point behind. That is mental. Yep, and we play City too. That's the big one. So the fact that we still have to go to City, which traditionally is a ground where we actually do quite well. Um, I feel like only in recent times we've lost here or there, but even when we weren't near the title, we'd always put up a good game. There's only one that... Re- the, the Sane goal and the John Stones... Was it John Stones clearance off the line? That one stands yeah. out as a 2-1 loss. And then the one when Mane got sent off and we yeah, got battered. Yeah, challenge, yeah. Yeah. We got battered. They're the only two that really stand out. I feel like it's a ground that we normally go and draw at um, against City, which wouldn't be the best result. But when you're talking about one point in it, you never know. Someone could do us a huge favour and get a result at some point. But everyone was talking at Christmas time, but the title race was over. You know, and we're at a point where it's in our hands to get it to, to one point. And realistically, it's in our hands. City did this to us when we got to 99 points, whatever it was, 97 points, sorry, and they just went on a 14-win streak to finish the season off and just didn't give us an inch. We could realistically do that to them at this point, and if we win out, then the title's ours. Yeah, it's a bit scary to say. I didn't expect coming in to that City game, and we're not there yet, of course, as well. There's a couple of games before then, so we can't get ahead of ourselves. But, um, you know, it's it's crazy to say with 11 games to go for Liverpool that if we win all 11 and get 33 points, we will win the title. And uh, look, I don't want to say that that's the only way we can win the title, but I've been saying it and I've said it numerous times that I think we have to go undefeated for the rest of the season, 14 games out, 15 games out, that we're going to win the league, we have to win everything. I'm going to stand by it, and obviously it rings true now, that if we do you know, win out for the rest of the season, including beating City, including beating Arsenal, um, who are in good form, including a couple of tricky fixtures with teams in and around the relegation fight. Um, and I think we got Wolves on the final day at Anfield. Yeah, at home. Yeah, which is never an easy tie either because they can defend really well. Um, you know, it's not, it's it's something that is not going to be easy to do, but that's what the City side makes you do. If you want to win the title, you've got to be perfect. Yeah. And well, we've got our opportunity that uh, if we are perfect, we will win the league. And uh, well, look, 
good luck to us. It, it would be great to see. And if we could do it, that would be, you know, one of the, not the craziest comebacks in Premier League of all time, but the fact that you've just chased down this juggernaut that is Manchester City from what, in Christmas time, 13, like 13 14 points, whatever it was. Yeah, 13. Uh, that's, that this would be more up there. This would mean more than the one, than the first one that we won because 100%. We're 25 points clear until the foot off the gas and threw away an, an unbeaten season, but. This one would mean so much more with fans and all the rest of it and, you know, winning the Carabao Cup this season as well. Like, there's just so many other factors that are making this season so much more, not enjoyable, but successful probably is the word that I'm looking for. Um, and that really asserts the dominance of, of this side because, you know, for so many years we've sort of been that second team, haven't we, under Klopp. Um, so to really... Flex our muscles now is great and sort of touching on the Brighton game, um, Luis Diaz is just slotted in so perfectly. Like it's pretty rare that a January signing can can walk into a team and then, you know, into a good team as well, not just any team. The only one that I can really think of that's had, well, there's two that have had this impact, probably Aubameyang at Arsenal and Bruno Fernandes at Manchester United, how they just sort of go straight into the team and look like they've been there for the whole season. He's just playing on an absolute another level and, his goal was very, very well taken and I thought he was quite lucky to avoid injury, to be honest, at that point because he took a pretty big hit. He did indeed, took a massive hit, but I think what I want to talk about first before we get to the goal and you know how well it was taken is Luz Diaz, the player. And you can see why he fits because he's just so silky smooth. He looks like a player that just doesn't make a mistake or many mistakes yeah. and the mistakes he does make are very small mistakes, not those big gaping errors. Uh, what I love is that Allison can go like third line to him and he can have two guys on him and his touch will literally, the ball will sit on his chest. Yeah. It is, it's ridiculous how good his touch is. Um, he seems to understand. And I think that's what it is with great players playing with great players. He always understands where Salah is in the movement or Mane's movement is. And he just seems to drive into those areas of uncertainty of the defense and create space for others. Or he can take it upon himself. Um, then to the goal, the run is unreal because he starts his run wide and comes inside, fuels in the nine in the nine yeah. space. Great ball from Matip. Um, and just know, knowing as a player, and a player that's been on the other end of this, and now usually I'm the keeper on the end of this, but sometimes when you come for one as a keeper or sometimes you put your body there as a striker, you know you're going to get collected. He 100% knew if I get there first, I'm copping one, but I'll probably score. And so, so there's some players in the world and, you know, I'm not going to single out all uh, Colombian footballers, but I think there's plenty of Colombian professionals in the world that would have pulled out of that. And it's nice to have one of the South American boys says, no, put my body on the line here, kind of absolutely get crunched and finish. And it was a great finish too. It wasn't like it was a, you know, oh yeah, he just has to, you know, touch it and that's it. He still has to get there, flick it around the keeper, yeah. with enough power for it to get in. With defenders coming back as well. As well. Yeah. yeah, so... Uh, Oh, look, I think Diaz has been a great signing. Has he been the best signing of the summer? I would say Coutinho probably has edged him because Coutinho's impact at Hill has been like, amazing. Yeah. But uh, he has just fit into one of the best teams in Europe like he has been there for the last five years. Yeah, and that's the key. It's just he slots straight in and we've seen it from minute one. That's the big positive that we can take away from Diaz. Salah's penalty, well taken um, as well. I'd, we'll go to the, the foul. The, the the part that for me makes it a red is the kicking motion from the keeper. 
I don't have the issue with... I mean, it sounds bad, but I don't have the issue with the head high contact because that's where the ball was. You know what I mean? So he was playing the ball because Diaz is heading it. But I don't understand why his left foot is coming through and kicking him in the chest at the same time. Yeah, I I agree with part of the statement um, of the leg being high. I have an issue with what his hand's doing, being a keeper, because... His decision-making is going from I'm coming to get this to realising I'm not getting there, so I'm leaving one on you. And you can see that when you slow it down, that hand motion isn't in a particular way where he's looking to make a save. It's kind of like, I know I'm not there, and I know you've beaten me, so I'm just going to put myself in a position where I'm going to hit you. And I think it's very intentional what Sanchez does. I was very shocked that he didn't even get a yellow card and VAR didn't even check it for misconduct. It was kind of like, oh, Liverpool scored. Um, that double disillusion rule doesn't come into it. Like, if it was a penalty, he gets a yellow because we probably scored the pen, right? But I think this one bordered on violent misconduct. That's what they and, looked at. Um, yeah, and for me, I think Sanchez is very lucky not to not only escape a red, but to escape a three-week suspension. Now, look, that might sound harsh, but if it's reckless. we go back and look at Platini getting taken out by Schumacher in the 86 World Cup, uh, in the semi-final there was Germany versus France. It isn't a too dissimilar incident. Now, in that one, there was a boy over the top. Schumacher, the keeper's come for it. And he's clearly made a decision, I'm not getting there, so I am going to lay the guy out. And he comes in, jumps up like head high, Brian Pickett style, gets him in the head, concusses him. He ends up in hospital with a fractured skull. Somehow, back in the 80, in 86, that wasn't even a foul. It was a goal kick. If that was in today's modern age, that would have been a red card and months of suspension and I'm liking the Sanchez moment not to the level of extent of contact and decision of actually I'm going to get my elbow in here and really give it one in the head but I will give it to the area of it's you know it's violent misconduct because he makes a true choice in a split moment where he realizes he's not getting there to commit uh, a foul at head height with you know purposeful movement of the arm towards the head and I honestly think his left leg was meant to come up high enough to get Diaz in the head, and luckily it didn't and got him just below. I, I would have been, if I was Mike Dean, I would have been very quick to have been called the trainers on and De- and Sanchez off within, like, a second of each other. Yeah, I don't know. It's one of those ones, isn't it? Um... I feel like if he doesn't score, I would love to know what they do. So if he doesn't score, is it red? If that's the case, then why does him scoring yeah. matter? And then I would also like to know if... The decision then is that it's not a red in that situation. If we do get a penalty because he's missed, because it would be a pen, does that mean he only gets a yellow because it's double disillusion? Uh, the double disillusion rule that they've now brought in for pens, unless it's clear and obvious? And if you haven't sent him off, then that means that wasn't clear and obvious? I have a problem with that. I just feel like that that was as blatant as you like. As a keeper that's been there and has actually done this, realising you're not getting there, I'm going to hit someone. You know, there's ways to disguise it. I didn't think Sanchez disguised that one at all. No, it's like he just gave up. That's why I felt like the kicking motion was there because he just sort of threw him. And I was like, it's oh, damn it. Frustration. Yeah, exactly. It's just a silly decision, but yeah, still can't reward it. You know what I mean? Like, there's still got to be... I get there's a an element of you don't give it because the, the goal's seen as the advantage, but I don't know. When it comes to dangerous play, I might be harsh and maybe there's one point in time where it comes and bites Liverpool in the butt but if you know Allison comes out and kicks someone in the chest and punches him in the head I can live with that being a red card if that's the shoes on the other foot you know what I mean and yeah it's shit and we're down to 10 men after 20 minutes but whatever like if someone's life's at you know potentially in danger if you kick him in the skull and you know god forbid you do some 
brain damage, then, you know, a red card's not much compensation in that scenario. So, yeah, it's not. And that's why I, you know, when you think back of like similar incidents, I think of the Marnie one on Edison when we got beat by City. Oh, you couldn't have too many qualms. I think I had qualms on the night because I was a bit upset about it. But you look back at that and you go, yeah, that's red. Yeah. It's, it's dangerous play. Um, it's, it's, it's where it leaves the pick fit on Van Dyke one a little bit bitter in your mouth, but yet again, I understand that happened after an offside, but you still would say, you know, you can see the violent conduct. You can still send that. It's the same way as if in the rule, they're sending me double foot to break someone's leg during play. You play an advantage, the ball's falling somewhere else, and it ends up in a goal, a goal scoring opportunity, it might end up as a corner, you name it. You are allowed as a referee to go back and send the player off. Yeah. after playing the advantage. I just feel like that same sort of rule should apply even if the goal is scored in the same movement of where the dangerous, you know, conduct plays. And for me, I think from your understanding, Paul, we're ruling this as dangerous conduct, not just a foul coming into the box yeah. with excessive force. Yeah. I believe it's dangerous conduct. Well, that's what it got checked as. It, it got checked as foul play, dangerous conduct. So that's what the actual description of the VAR check came up as. So they recognised it, but then they've obviously said there wasn't enough to overturn it which just doesn't make sense to me because you're saying that that's, that's not far. like how's that not so how's that not a clear and obvious error to not even be a card that's what baffles me the most in that scenario is they haven't actually deemed it as a cardable offense so, so anyway. I, I think i could live with it if mike dean said i've seen it it's yellow for me and I, i'm not deeming it as a um, as dangerous conduct yeah the fact var check it as dangerous conduct but there's no booking involved means for me Mike Dean's either missed it or was missed the severity of it. Yeah, but then and he didn't. Me, that's where he didn't will step in. Yeah, but then he didn't look at it anyway. So that's what frustrates me. I, I don't know. I don't want to go on about we this again. We don't want to go into VAR. We've spoken about VAR enough times. VAR's not had his best. But he hasn't been really instructed again to go over to the monitor, which just baffles me because you're talking about player safety and they haven't asked him to go and look at it. So. Anyway, I, I really Look, don't want to get into it tonight. I don't want to get into it anyway. At the end of the day, Diaz is fine. Diaz scored. And he the played on. problem for us out the game is Salah, but it looks like he's going to be okay. Um, at least it's not going to be anything long-term. If he misses a week, he misses a week. It just happens to be Arsenal, which would have yeah. been nice. So my last um, point on the Diaz one, though, yeah. if he goes off on a stretcher... He get, the stretchers get set. And that's the problem. Like, Why are we punishing the outcome and not the action? That's what yeah, needs to I be agree. looked at. Yeah, I agree too. The fact that Diaz, you know, plays on lack of it's a lack of a better phrase, but man's up, and like that's obviously just one of those phrases. Yeah, he's punishing the outcome, not the action. Yeah, exactly. If Sanchez is one of those players, um, don't want to single him out, but like Neymar, for instance, Neymar would have rolled around and fell for ten minutes after that. It would have been a wreck. Anyway, we don't need to speak about it any too much more. I've probably spent too much time on it, but you know, for me and for you, I think it's dangerous conduct, red and. You know, yeah. judging from what I know about refereeing and old man being a referee, probably three weeks. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't dispute it, but anyway. Other games, um, Leeds, big big three points Huge. in a six-pointer. Um, late, late goal as well, um, always helps. So, look, that just bottom of the so that bottom six is really just heating up, isn't it, at this point? There's results flying everywhere and teams are scrapping points here and there and it's just heating up big time. I'm really enjoying it. I am too. Credit to Leeds. They've, they've been fighting a lot the last few weeks, especially on the Jesse March. And, um, you know, they got that late winner. You could see how much it meant to everybody. Um, I Dukes. think it's a moment that I think it's Joe Gelhart that scores. It's a moment he's never yeah. going to forget, especially if they stay up, right? Big Dukes in the crowd thing. as well. Yeah. See that? You could, pardon? See What's big Mark Vaduka in the crowd? 
yeah, I did see that, uh, yeah. which I think was pretty wholesome. Um, but uh, I think that's the sort of result that Leeds can maybe build something upon. Uh, you yeah. know, that, that last gasp winner in a relegation situation get you that bit of momentum, get that morale, morale. If you know you've been playing well the last couple of weeks, you finally get your, your result that you need and you want, you crave, and it looked like it was not going to happen. That could be something to kickstart them just to pick up a few points to stay up. You know, Brentford winning on the weekend as well made that result even more massive. Um, but I think the only thing we can also say in the relegation fight is Norwich, as much as I've liked yeah. you under Dean Smith and what you've tried to do, it's just happened all a little bit too late. And I think that result there just means you're probably down now. Typical Norwich, eh? Just yo-yo once again. Yeah. And they'll miss Fulham. They'll do their little one-up, one-down every season yeah. at this point. I'd it's love funny. To, I'd love to see Norwich play Fulham, but it's never going to happen because they always miss each other. Yeah. So anyway, it is what it is um, with Norwich, I guess. And we'll... Everyone's fighting for those two spots um, at this point, so we'll see what happens there. Any other games you want to touch base on before um, we move through? Not to touch base on in terms of like uh, you know in depth in depth based on, but you know Ronaldo hat trick against Spurs. Yeah, that was big. Three two win, massive, massively uh, puts in a big goal for contender of the year. It's nice to see that. Ronaldo and Ralph obviously had a chat. Ronaldo didn't just get away from the club for a few days because he went to Portugal midweek, came back and got a hat-trick. Now, I wouldn't say that's something they have to do every week, but if that's what Ronaldo needs to, yeah. just to refresh, then I wouldn't be all against it for United. I don't want to speak about it too much because Spurs are so yo-yo-ish that you know, they'll get performances like that. And they didn't really play too bad against United. It was just Ronaldo being vintage Ronaldo. The one I want to speak about, which sounds a little bit weird, is Arsenal-Leicester. Yeah. And I just want to speak about the players that played in this game and understanding and appreciating how good Odegaard is. Because I did not think he was that good of a footballer. You sit there and watch. I watched the extended highlights of this game. Yeah, he's found a role now, hasn't he? Four minutes highlight. And he just, he looks so nailed and he looks so good. He picks the spaces. It's Mesut Ozil-esque. It, it's, yeah, it's just playmaking. Unbelievable. Just picks locks. And if if he if they play like that, they're gonna finish in the four easy. Yeah, well, I agree. And they're going to give us a hard time of it this week, which is gonna be amazing to watch. So from the neutral, great. Hopefully they will just rock up and do the typical. We're playing Liverpool, so we're gonna get beat four 0 um, which would be nice. Um, and Mane being Mane scores like a hat trick, like he, he loves Arsenal. But um, if Arsenal play how they've been playing, and they keep building and get the right signings, I'm just gonna put it out there. In a couple of years' time, Arsenal could be fighting yeah. for, you know... Get the right players in. Honours. Yeah, they, they could be fighting for honours. I'm not going to say they're going to be fighting for the Premier League because that's a big call. But they could be fighting for FA Cups. They could be fighting for the later stage of the Champions League, but I mean, like, quarter-final, semi-final. Yeah. Um, and credit to Arteta because I wrote him off. Yeah, and, and look, so did I, um, to be perfectly honest. Um, but we did mention that he clearly wasn't playing a system that suited the players that he had. And I think his hands have sort of been tied and maybe it's good management, but they've sort of got rid of some of those fringe guys that were hanging around and it's allowed him to focus on sort of his 15 or so that are there on a match day. But he's found roles and jobs for players um, that suit, which is really positive and he's getting results. My one query or concern is they haven't really had a game where they've blown someone off the park on the score sheet. So my worry with Arsenal at the moment is there's a lack of goals uh, they're relying on Ramsdale to make four or five big saves to keep him in games. And when you play teams like Liverpool and Man City, that unfortunately gets unstuck. So that's where 
I know that Lacazette's contract's up at the end of the season, but you need to try and replace him with someone who can do the hold-up play but can also find 15 goals a season. If they can find a striker that can do that for them, then they're going to be very, very dangerous, I think, because I, I agree. that's the missing link. And I know Lacazette scored the penalty midweek and he'll probably score another three or four or five goals before the end of the season. He's in my fantasy team because I think he'll get chances. But when I look at the team, that's the area that I go, can they win those tight games? They're good enough to find goals. You know, Gabriel scored a couple goals this season. They've found goals from Thomas Party and from Granite Xhaka and from obviously Emil Smith-Rowe and Saka from the wingers. But, you know, through the middle this year has been an ongoing issue, whether it was Aubameyang, whether it was Balogun, whether it was, um, what's his name, Eddie and Ketcher. Or it's like Lacazette. Lacazette's goals have come to the later part of this season, but that's been the product of good football. Yeah, but one of them was well. an own goal too, the yeah, Saar one. Um, so, so that's what I'd be – like. That, that's me being negative. So that would be my area for improvement for Arsenal I at the agree. moment is just to get some more goals out of that number nine area. If they do that, then they're pushing Chelsea for third, to be honest. Yeah, and I, I'm loving the improvement. And the Premier League is a lot richer for Arsenal Football Club being back in that top four. Yeah, I'd 100% agree. And they look really good. Like that sort of that play from their centre-backs through to their wingers and through those middle channels looks unbelievable. Like the way that they're moving the ball at the moment and holding on to possession and recycling and just looking dangerous going forward and the wingers look really direct. My thought might be give Pepe a stint through the middle and just see what he can offer. Maybe as someone who can stretch the defence rather than look to play with his back to goal all the time. Um, Yeah, I agree with that. Someone running off the last man. Yeah, just so you can keep Saka on one side and then Martinelli or Smith-Rowe on the left with Odegaard sort of sitting in that hole in behind. I think that's really dangerous. I do too. Um, it's a bit more of a uh, classical Arsenal striker that where you're running off the last man trying to get in behind. When I mean like that, I'm thinking of, don't get me wrong, he's not in the same bracket of player as Pepe, but like Ian Wright back in the day for Arsenal, like get on the last man off the shoulder. Yeah. You know, Burkhead basically telling him in training, this is where you run, this is when you run, and off you go and I'll send you. And then we'll do the rest for you. And if that's Ian Wright setting someone up or scoring, off you go. Um, and I think that Pepe could give him that option. And I think that's something that maybe they could lack. But I also think that's something that they could do off the bench as well if they had that really explosive player. And you start like Lacazette and 75th minute drag him off to bring that type of striker on. Yeah. And that's also very game dependent. But I, I am a big That's what they're doing at the moment. On. Yeah, I'm a big believer in putting on pace late doors, you know, tight defence off the last man, stretch the game, especially when they're tired, more chances of open. Um, but I do think if they can find that type of striker with a, another option with that, I do think that's probably Arsenal's biggest area to improve upon. But I really like the improvement and the football Arsenal playing at the minute. Yeah, and that's probably the key there is just that how well they are playing, which is really good to see. Um, Leicester just... They're just struggling, aren't they? At this point, they're just really struggling to just find anything, really. Um, I don't know. They're just at a point where I just think they're all over the place, unfortunately. And I feel for them, but that's just what it is at this point. So I don't know what's going to happen there, I think. I don't know what's going to happen there either. It's going to be weird to see what happens with Rogers. It's going to be weird to see what happens for... Uh you know, the football club itself to start selling these sort of players that have, like, you know, gotten to as far as they've gotten? Or do they keep faith? I'm not too sure. I feel for Rogers a little bit because I feel like Leicester have been pretty unlucky this year. They've had a big, big 
lot of injuries early doors, especially defensively. Um, Rams, they were both games had a worldie of a game. And yeah. It could be last or tw- twice. Like the header save Rams pulls off in the game is borderline as good as his free kick save back all, all those games ago against Leicester as well. So, yeah, you know, that's an extra six points that Leicester have. They beat Arsenal home and away because the goals change games and they would be ahead in both scenarios. Um, and you could probably go back to Leicester's games and look at enough games to go on a different day of a slice of luck. You've probably have won that. And I don't know if they're going to stick or twist. I think if I'm Leicester, knowing that I'm Leicester and uh, my goal is to probably make European football, I'd probably stick with Rodgers in the, in the core group, but invest in areas where I think I need to invest in, which for me is defensively. But um, I've had injuries though too. Yeah, I, I think it would be very harsh to get rid of Rodgers after one poor year. But yeah. if he doesn't start well next year, I'd say Rodgers probably has to go. I just think he has enough credits in the bank that you go, all right, mate, it wasn't our year. We've had a few injuries. Let's go again. Yeah. I mean, though, Fafana and Soyuncu just not in any form definitely doesn't help. And they're relying on Vestergaard and Amadi and, you know, they're, they're just nowhere near their nah, best defence, you know. So you kind of feel for them. But anyway. I just Look, plenty of games still to come this week, so we'll, we'll probably do some reaction to um, those other games next week as well because there'll be some FA Cup games this weekend too. So there's plenty of football happening. Where do we want to go to next? I think we touch on F1 testing because I've been yeah. watching that basically all last weekend. It is so nice to have Formula 1 on the TV. So last testing wasn't. It was all done through YouTube and keeping up the date. This uh, testing was done through Sky Sports F1, was actually over there, and they broadcasted it. I'm just going to put it out there right now. The Ferrari looks absolutely unbelievable. They just got the package. Uh, you know, the, the car seems reliable. The car isn't making any too big drastic mistakes anywhere. It looks quick, and they've got two good drivers. So if you're a Ferrari fan, get excited. Um, I like all the new designs that are out there. You know, we have Mercedes with no side pods. We have... Uh, Red Bull, we've, sh- we've like sculpted side pods. We have a lot of other teams like Ferrari, for instance, with, uh, you know, a slight adaptation, but your more traditional type of side pods. Uh, you know, there's different ways the cars are being cooled this year because of that as well. And it's just all it is, it's snowballing into effect that a lot of teams have done a lot of things differently. Yeah. And for me, that's going to make a really good championship this season. And my prediction for F1, not for positions or anything, but my prediction is we're going to have a season where it's going to be very similar to Mirror 2010, where a lot of teams went a lot of different ways. And we had Alonso, Button, Hamilton, uh, Mark Webber, and the eventual winner, Sebastian Vettel, all fight for the championship up until the last round of the season. It always happens when there's a new formula too, isn't there? People trying to sort of find out what they can push to the limits and what's going to be effective and what's not and what's the new strategy and almost what the meta is um, moving forward. So you normally get some weird results or some weird um, placings because people get things wrong, which is normal. You know, that's part of it. So I think don't be surprised if you see maybe, you know, one of those other teams that have been loitering around sort of start pushing or the gap not being as big as it was last year with Red Bull yeah, and Mercedes. I think the big, big uh, change here is I think the Haas will score points eventually this season as well. I hope they so. They did finish second in uh, the last day of practice oh, wow. um, with Mick Schumacher. Uh, but I don't read too much in the testing times. There's different ways that cars are being run, etc. Um, but just to see that the Haas has some sort of capability... It's yeah. huge. 
Um, and the last point on that is the McLaren uh, cannot cool its brakes, which means it's going to break down at some point in the race, which is because uh, they can't seem to do a full race distance, yeah, uh, which is interesting. And Danny Rick has COVID, so be interesting to see what happens there come the weekend. And see who the backup driver might be as well then. Yeah, it's tutored to be Oliver Bastari, the other Australian that's currently at Renault as the backup driver. They were oh, yeah. into race in Formula One, which is a bit weird for Renault to give McLaren their third driver. But I think it's a way that Renault goes, this is a really big opportunity for him to race in a competitive car. And for McLaren, it's uh, okay, all our you know, backup drivers and whatever aren't probably ready, where Bastari being the F2 champion probably is. Where's Renault these days? Uh, well, it's Alpine. Oh, that team. That's yeah. right. All good in the hood. So, yeah, obviously um, new season starting this week. So exciting time, something to watch Sunday nights again, which is nice. Uh, oh, I love it. Hopefully it's at a decent time because I can normally watch Nine the first 30, half. I reckon this one. Yeah, beautiful. I might actually watch the whole thing. So that's nice. Um, one more big element to talk about this week. Um, AFL back, but... We'll get into that a bit later, I think. I think we've got a few questions about AFL, so we, do. we don't need to get too much, but it's actually back tomorrow night. So grand final rematch, very, very exciting. Um, kind of crept up on me, to be honest. I wasn't really paying attention to the off-season at all. I didn't watch any of the preseason games, so I'm just sort of rolling with um, sort of open eyes and keen to see what happens, to be honest, because I haven't actually looked into it this much this off-season, so can't wait. Yeah, same here. Like, it really crept up on me. It wasn't until I did the draft the other night with the rest of the boys of Southport that it was like, wow, footage starts this weekend, Formula 1's back this weekend, Premier League's concluding, Champions League's are here. Uh, it's too much sport. What are we going to do? Yeah, it's, it's so great. Good. It's a good time. And then the big one. I'm going to let you take this one. Big week for me last uh, week, even bigger one for you this week. Yeah, it was a big week. So for those that did listen to the podcast last week, Paulie made his first 50. It was unbelievable. Um, I'm not saying it was any extra motivation, but uh, for the narrative, why not? It inspired me to do and see if I can go one better. For those that don't know, I am a serial starter that doesn't go on with it. Usually make quite a few 50s in a season, made a few this year, made a few in most seasons. Never, ever, ever have I got to the triple figures. I've worked really hard this year to try and get the triple figures. I've been talking to a couple of club legends that I play at that have got multiple hundreds to maybe break it down mentally to get the triple figures. Um, and in the last round of the season, I uh, decided to really, really try my luck. Um, chasing 151, somehow, after being dropped a few times, decided to make 104 of our 153 to chase them down. And make my first ever 100. The best part about that was that you were at the other end, which was even better. Like, it was fairy tale esque that, you know, your best mate's down the other end as well. You know, you came out with like, I needed 15 to go. And when you came out, I was so Yeah, spent. we like, needed I 30, I think, or 25 to win with yeah. 11 overs or something. And I needed 15 of them. And I remember saying to you, I might just get out now because I'm scorn. The, set the scene, I've already gone down with cramp um, because I didn't probably have enough water on the day and it was a warm day in Adelaide. Um, in my right sh- in my right calf, and then trying to run between wickets, my left calf started cramping, and Paul could vouch for the car ride to the pub afterwards. <laughs> I was cramping in my right groin, which yeah. Paul was laughing at in the car um, while I tried to drive. Um, so I was in a world of hurt, and I was gone. When I'm in gone, I mean, there's photos of me making the 100, and I look drained. Exhausted was um, probably the, the, the best term for... I was, I, was, I was that gone that I don't even remember, like, 
I remember doing it and I remember like, oh yeah, it's done. I don't even, I didn't even celebrate. I've always thought that I would celebrate like a maniac when I eventually do it because I knew I would do it eventually one day. The law averages said one day I'm going to convert one of these 50s, right? Yeah. Um, but I was that gone that I think I collapsed into your arms to give you a hug and I like rose the bat for like a second. Yeah, all I heard was a big scream as the ball got to the boundary because um, yeah. we obviously oh, crossed. So I wasn't yeah. seeing – I was trying to look over my shoulder, but I wasn't sure it was going to go. So I'm like, I better actually put the effort in for this run. Well, and yeah, then- same here. I didn't think it was go- – A, I didn't think it was going to go. B, in my head when Paul said I needed 15, I thought I was on 95 and that was to get me to 99. And I was saying in my head, I've got to somehow find energy to run a one here. Because <laughs> uh, here we go. You're not the quickest between the wicket. I'm really not too bad. How am I going to get this one? No, when I'm fresh, when I'm fresh, I'm alright. Yeah, yeah, but uh, I'm just like, how do I get this one run? And the next minute, the boys let me know that no, nah, you're actually on a hundred. It was a pretty good feeling. Uh, played a lot of good shots. Did have an element of luck, like every innings does. You know, being dropped a couple of times does help. Um, and you know what? It was just nice to finally mentally say to myself, actually mentally put it all together. Because I feel like a lot of the time you can vouch, even though you haven't seen me play cricket in a while, and I think you can even say that that's probably the most aggressive you've ever seen me bat. Um, I Just mentally being able to go, you know what? You're in the 70s. It's not happening this time. You're going to push through. You're going to do it today. Yeah. And it was just nice to finally do it. Yeah, I was a bit worried when I got out there. Um, But I didn't think I was going to get out there with you. That was the other factor. I just thought... You know, you guys are just going to get it done, but I think yeah, I sort of kept on cruising. Yeah, I think I came in at a crucial point, which I said to the boys, I actually wanted to get out there just to try and settle you. And I didn't really want to tell you what you were on, but I thought I'd give you the option if you wanted to know. Um, I like I like knowing. I try to count when I'm back. It keeps me in check. Yeah. Of like how the run rate's going, how many runs have I scored, how many balls am I eking up? Because I don't want to bat too slow. Because that was my problem as a junior was batting too slow. Um, yeah, I could tell you were worrying about it, though. That was the thing. And then when you're getting out stupidly, because I knew we had time. and yeah. I was more worrying about that. I am that spent. I can barely hit the ball. And then I think I proceeded to tell you I'm going to try and make it one over. I nearly get bowled twice. And then I think the third ball that over walked across my stumps and hit the guy for like a 65, 70 meter six. So yeah. I must have had something in the tank to be able to do that. But yeah. Yeah, exactly. And at the end of the day, you got there. That's the main thing. Um, one hour final game of the season, which is more important. Yeah, needed the win too. Um, it's just good, good set of boys we play with. So and to do it know, not it's, out, it's nice. It's nice to win the lads. To do it not out as well after forty overs in the field. That's that's the big effort, I think. So oh, yeah, done a good overs, job. Thirty six overs of batting, facing from first ball, hundred and four not out. I was spent. Oh, I mean, you saw me. I was spent. So just, this is how spent I was in story time with Damon. I had a chicken parmy. Me and you shared oysters. Right, I then finished. I helped a couple of guys finish off their pizzas. I then got home, had a one and a half hour Radox bath, and proceeded at one in the morning after the Liverpool game to smash leftover Chinese that my mum had for dinner. <laughs> because was I was gold. that gone. My body was gone. Yeah. And I was cramping all night trying to sleep. Yeah, that I did warn you that was probably going to happen. Yeah, so I was, I was really bad. All right. All right. We got some questions, Paulie. Yeah, you want to fire off the first one? Yeah, I will. So this is from Dom, who is going to be listening in. Dom, when you hear this, uh, shout out. Love you, mate. And uh, cannot wait to celebrate in a few weeks' time with you. For Paul, honest prediction on Port LA Football Club's season. And if they don't win a flag this year, is that premiership winner Gornski? I'll go to the second part of that question. So the window's not over, but 
I still want Kenny gone um, because I don't. I think whilst he's at the helm, we don't win one. I'm still very certain of that. But I don't know. I want us to finish. I want us to start slow and then make it like a bit of a jerk reaction and just bin him off, bring Bassett in who's at the club already and then let him kind of steady the ship and get us into the finals and then have a run at it that way. That would be my ideal world scenario because I just, I'm very convinced we're not going to win one under Ken Dog. So that's where I'm at at the moment. Um, we'll see what happens. Obviously, it's a team that's made back-to-back prelims. Like it's, you know, I can't be too doom and gloom about it all, but I don't know. I just don't see the way that we play being able to beat Melbourne or the Bulldogs in a final with Ken. Yeah, I, I'm going to echo that as well, that I just feel like if you could get Bassett in, who I think would be a better fit come finals with Ken's record, especially in finals, yeah. probably helps the football club more than him does it. I wouldn't say that you would, you know, you should bin You Ken can't bin him off two season. prelims, that's the thing. Yeah, but, uh, but I was a big believer that he should have gone a couple of years ago. So, so was I. Uh, yeah, and um, I think if he doesn't do it this year, I would be bidding him off anyway, say thank you for your time. I know that maybe even if you made it on a prelim, you can probably go and turn around and say you haven't got us to that final hurdle. Maybe we'll try go a different direction. That maybe gets us there as well. So yeah. I feel like this is Ken's last shot. Um, do I think your window would be open after this? I think your roster's too good that it would probably stay yeah, for we'll, a couple of years as well. We've got so many kids coming through at the moment. It's just beyond a joke. Like it's just production line of kids. So, you know, yes, we're losing some really experienced players, but... We've got a real core of players that are coming through now that are at the right age that have played, you know, 50 to 100 games to now show these new kids the rope. So we're nowhere near at the end of a window. We're at the end of the window, say, for Boat, Gray. Um, even Dixon's getting there now. Um, lot like Lysette's probably getting there now. But you've got um, old mate, uh, the new Rutman, Sam Hayes, coming through, one of the best and Ferris at the Magpies. You got Dan Houston coming into that midfield group. You've got Rosie, Butters, Dersma, who have all had bolt games as young as young men. But, you know, you're only talking they're only been in the league for three years and they're playing at a level where they're, you know, racking up Brownlow votes. So, you know, you then you add Josh Sims, you add Jackson Mead, who are new, you got Georgiades. If Marshall can find a way to find a spot in the team as well, he's talented with the ball, but I don't rate him as a key forward. Plenty of options there. You've got Lockie Jones, who only played a handful of games last year, who I really rate. So lots and lots of good potential. I think we need to find a way to keep the premium midfielder sort of side of things rolling through because that's probably the one area where I go, can we get better there? But other than that, key positions, we're good. Defense, we're good. Forward, we're good. Why can't we do it? I echo I reckon why can't you do it, even though I'm a crow, man? I would love to see you do it. This would be good for South Australia to have another flag, honestly. It's been so long. It's been yeah, since I, 04. I, I'm, a big, I'm a big believer that once it gets to the final series and we're not there, I do so having a lot of friends that support power. I'm not the biggest AFL, you know, not watch. I watch a lot of AFL, but I'm not the biggest AFL supporter. Um, I can, because I'm probably not as diehard, I can get behind, you know, power winning one if we're not there. Yeah, and look, like I give people shit if the Crows lose in a final and whatever, but, you know, I'd rather, sounds bad, but I'd probably rather the Crows win it than any of the Victorian sides and 
other than maybe the Bulldogs because I've got a soft spot for them. But yeah, same here. I did. You know what I mean? So it's one of those yeah. ones where I'd probably just rather live with it, but keep it in SA almost, <laughs> just because. Yeah, I, I hear you. I echo it. Yeah. Anyway, Luca, with Messi wanting to return to Barca, and if he does, is does his return ruin the form they've got currently with the new signings and the way they're playing? Um, I don't know if it ruins the flow, but would you take him back is more the question. Now, it depends what wage is he asking for. Can they afford him? I know Messi is not up, you know, overly happy at PSG, and I know he didn't really want to go to PSG, but I feel like that, that since once that bridge was burnt and they... Barca couldn't work out a deal and couldn't work out a way to keep him. I just feel like this is Messi at PSG getting his last paycheck and then he's going to retire for club football at least anyway. So I don't see it happening unless there is a world where Messi's taking a massive, massive pay cut like PK has, um, something along those lines. And even then, I think if you're Barca and you're Chavi, you'd probably find a way for him to play and he probably will help even though he's still, you know, at, at his age, he's probably still one of the better footballers in the world. And I think you still would take him at Barca. Plus, what does that do for the kids coming through the academy that they can yeah. that they can lead in and learn off, you know? So for me, I think it was is more wins than, you know, there's more pros than cons. Uh, I don't think he would go there and go, you know, yep, you're starting, bang, you're nailed on, you know, fitting around you. It would be more a case that Xavi has this understanding of how to play football. And I think Messi would go there understanding that that is the case. And, um, you know, we will definitely use you more often than not, but it's going to be in a way where the team will flow. And it means that, you know, you have to, you know, come to grips with what my type of football. I think Messi could live with that as well. Is it time for him just to, to step aside and give you Pedri's and, Ansu Fatties and that their time at Barca now though now that they're nailed on as well like I get there's the mentoring element to it but you know he spent so long at the club Xavi is the manager now as well I don't know just I feel like maybe it's better if he's just not not there at the same time um, maybe with fans there it's a positive maybe that was part of the reason why he left because they were playing behind closed doors and maybe it wasn't the same who knows but I don't know I think it's a different character than to Ronaldo and whatever who's going to go in there and shake up the dressing room. Messi's not that type of operator. Uh, so he's not going to ruin a culture. But I look at it as, is he going to take an opportunity away from someone who's really benefiting from him not being there right now? He probably is um, in order uh, to be in that team. So that's probably the one thing I'd have to consider if he was to go back. Maybe he plays centrally and then him and Aubameyang can kind of like rotate minutes a bit. And because they're both a bit older, they kind of find a way to rotate it through the league and then those big games, you look at using both of them, like Europa League, if it was this year, but next year, Champions League, maybe that's where you look at playing Orba and Messi and maybe that works really well because Messi wants to drop in and Aubameyang wants to go in behind. So you have that bit of that lineage between them. So although you're playing 4-3-3, you've got Orba stretching the defense, you've got Messi. Does he then commit a centre-back, which means Orba gets a one-on-one? Like, so I feel like the interplay with like a Messi and Aubameyang could be really good to watch because they're polar opposites the way that they operate. So maybe that's a positive. But then in the league, I'd be saying, can we, depending on who we're playing, do we roll one on the bench, one to start, so that you get minutes into those guys around consistently in the league and then they get the experience 
bit by bit in the Champions League. Maybe that's how they go about it. I think that'd be a cool idea. Yeah, I wouldn't be totally against Messi going there. Uh, I do think there's definitely elements where I do think it doesn't work. But I think if Messi understood that, Aubameyang understood that, I don't think it would ruin the flow. I think it would help. Um, and like you said, in those big games, even though Pedri and Ansi Fati have definitely proven their worth, I do think in those bigger moments, like you mentioned, Paul, it probably could uh, definitely help them as well. I wouldn't be totally against it if Messi was to end up back there. I also do see a world where he stays at PSG and just retires and that's that. Yeah, and that's probably the more likely option too, to be fair. All right, JS asks us, how will the top seven finish? So it's I feel like we're, I feel like we're kind of on the same page with the top five. Yep, I reckon. So oh, like my top five. Oh, so we'll take top four. So I think the top four pretty well stays as is. But you know, us being optimistic with us winning the league. So us and City swapping, and yep. then Chelsea and I mean Arsenal have two games in hand on Chelsea, and one of them's against Chelsea. The other one's against Spurs. Must be. Yeah. No, it can't be because they're playing us. So they've got one game in hand on Chelsea, which is the um, Spurs game because they're playing us as well. I think the top four stays as it is. um, Unless Chelsea run into some big problems and there's obviously a lot of turmoil at the minute with Chelsea and, you know, they look like they are about to get sold. um, And it looks like to a person that um, really loves the club and has enough and a lot of money to reinvest into the football club. So not all doom and gloom for Chelsea if that does happen indeed. Um, we'll speak about that more in a different. I podcast. think the seven stays. I think the seven stays as it is. It's just yeah. the position of United West End Wolves now. Um, I really don't know. I uh, really I wrote West Ham off. Do, Spurs have got two games in hand. No, they find ways to just drop stupid points. I think they miss out. I think tough. Uh, if West Ham lost on the weekend, I would have said West Ham are going to drop all the way out. I'm very surprised West they Ham. won. I was surprised that they got up too um, against Villa as well. Uh, it's tough, this. Um, I think the top four stays. I think United, as much as it pains me to say it, probably stays fifth. Yeah, same. I think Wolves will beat West Ham to sixth. <laughs> oh, that's big. And West Ham, depending on how long they are in left in Europe, yeah, that's a big point, actually. Um, how how the squad goes with injuries, with bowling, et cetera, and how weak their squad is with depth could find themselves in a little bit of trouble. Wolves and still have to that play. That being said, I'm going to stick to my guns and say that it's going to be United 5th, Wolves 6th, Spurs 7th, and West Ham will jump out of the top 7, which isn't a bad thing for West Ham either because it will give him a... Um, you know, it'll give him a chance to probably buy a couple of those fringer players in, have to not worry about European football and have a real big assault at the top four next year. What if I told you that Wolves still have to play Man City, Chelsea and Liverpool? I would have to say go Wolves and beat Man City for my prediction to be right. <laughs> <laughs> that is actually a big run in for Wolves. Yeah. I still, still think... They also get Norwich, know, Burnley, Leeds, Newcastle. Pardon? You know what it is about Wolves, though? They're defensively good. Yeah, they're they go so forward. solid. They, do, they don't score enough. Maybe mm. maybe West Ham stay in at Wolves, that maybe miss out. But maybe that's me it's putting just tight. stock in the Spurs as two games in hand. It is so tight, though. 
that that six, seven, eight is going to be tight. And look, you never know what United are going to do. Maybe that was a flash in the pan for United. They go back to being really, really poor. I know United still got to play us. Um, and I would think that it might be naive to say it, but I do think we would roll United most times and not with the current state of men United's in. Yeah. Um, so I think fifth, six, seven, and obviously then eighth all up for grubs. Um, yeah, because then Villa is way too far back. Yeah, I think at the minute West Ham to miss out only because I think the squad's in a spot where if it goes wrong with the squad, injuries, yeah. they stay in Europe for a little bit longer, etc. They just won't have the legs to run out the rest of the 38 games and they'll fall apart. Yeah, I agree with you there. I'm pretty happy with that, to be honest. Um, just on Villa, though, how good's the turnaround been? Because they were in turmoil. You know, at one point, they looked like they were going to be part of that big group fighting relegation and they've managed to really just you know get the ninth is a real commendable achievement with a game in hand over Southampton and they'll finish top half a big time and then the the flip side of that all I guess is Everton isn't it like they're at the point of recording they've got games in hand but they're not they're nowhere near far away you know like they've only got one in hand on Burnley and they're only a point clear so there's a lot happening down there. Like Watford are probably struggling with already playing 29 as well. But Everton are in some real, real big trouble as That's we speak. That's why I like, when a relegation fight, I like points on the board over games in hand. Because in games in hand, the other team that knows they have to fight for survival will go out and fight for survival. But they also know the implications if they don't win. That yeah. Every game in hand is a six-pointer. It just makes it so much more Much more bigger. pressure. Big, too I'd much pressure. I'd rather be in a relegation fight, have... You know, play, play the games. That's the yeah. That's the points target you need to get to. Yeah, I'd rather be Leeds. I'd rather be Brentford. I'd rather be Newcastle. We still include them in it, uh, which I don't think you should. To be fair, because Newcastle looking incredible at the minute as well. Yeah, they'll probably slow down though. That bounce will stop at some point, but yeah. But uh, I think they're going to get to a stage where Newcastle will probably safe. safe. Nice to see Chris yeah. Wood finally score as well. To be honest. Yep. Yeah, so I do agree with that, but I think. Uh, I'd rather have points on the board. For me, it's just how bad Everton are playing. Are they going to even win one of these games in hand? That's the well, that's the thing. Like it's it's likely that they won't, and that's the, yeah. the scary bit, really. There's three um, games they need to get probably three points from it, which is one win. I know that what that sounds, and if they can get four points, that's huge. But if they lose their next two of those games in hands, and then they've got one game left, and you look at that, that all of a sudden looks a lot scary. Throw in the fact that maybe if a Watford or a Burnley picks up points somewhere. They've got a few big games that they haven't been decided yet. Leicester, Palace, Burnley, Watford. They've not been ca- uh, accounted for yet. Those four. huge. And so is Watford. But D- depends how Watford go. They then still need to play, though, Newcastle, West Ham, Man United, Liverpool, Chelsea, Arsenal. That, that Merseyside derby could be a game where it could decide if we're still in the title hunt or still ahead in the title. Could you imagine that for a Merseyside derby? Well, that we re- imagine we relegate them. Oh, that oh, that would be nearly as good as winning the league. <laughs> that would also make football manager next year very interesting because I would do an Everton save. With the money you'd get as well. Yeah, that would be incredible. So much. There's so much that just unfold, isn't there? Oh, it's just beyond this, the joke. This, this, the run into episode 50 for us and probably on episode 50 is going to be huge. Yep, he's going to be massive and I'm very, very excited for it. Um, Dim, AFL preview predictions. Maybe what we'll do 
is just a bit of a just to give you a general who do you think's going to take the cake this year to start with I'll start with you I like the D's I like the Bulldogs I think there's three teams that are just miles apart I think I'm going to go the D's I think the D's will do it there's three teams that for me definitely are away from everybody else D's Bulldogs and probably Port Adelaide yeah yeah. They're the three that, for me, stand out. Anyone what, outside of that you think you'd give a hope to? Um, Off the top of my head, I just want to have a quick look here. Because um, there, there were some teams that really looked good towards the end of last year. I mean, GWS is always one that's just around the mark. They just they they, f- they find a way. I think Geelong's on the downer of their sort of we've gone after all these old dudes um Colton but I just don't rate them under Voss I think the real wild card is Essendon um if they can like their best is very good but their bad is very bad as that's sort of what we saw last year with with the Bombers if they if they can close the gap between their floor and ceiling then they're one of those teams that you don't want to play in the finals I agree with that. I think that the Bombers could be quite a sneaky side this year as well. I don't think they'll win it. I'm going to go with a really off the cuff, really on one leg, limb, shout. And if St. Kilda can get their roster playing right, yeah. they could cause a stir as well. Yeah, they're another side that... Just don't know what you're going to get. Exactly, and that's the, a bigger problem for them, isn't it? It's just consistency. and then, yeah, you, I just think... The, the, then you got Fremantle and I think Fremantle side that go under the radar a, a lot. West Coast on the decline as well, which I think is going to be beneficial for Fremantle. I think they're at a time where they can really go after some of the talent over there and the free agents that come through. So they can really start to build something. But yeah, I think Essendon's that side that I'm not saying they're going to win it, but you know, they're a side they're that can make finals play. and they could definitely do a job on somebody come September time. I agree with that. I just, uh, I think the way we're putting it, Dim, is very much there's three teams that I think are probably your, you know, your, your top three more than likely than not, which is obviously your pit, your Port Adelaide Football Club, your D's and your Bulldogs. And then we think there's a lot of teams from about sixth down to probably 11th that could do a job this year. Yeah. And I think the season's just going to be really good to watch. That like as a neutral, like there's going to be so many games that are going to be entertaining and enjoyable and really just fun to watch. So I'm I'm excited. Um, I'm really keen to see what Carlton can do because I felt like they they've built a really good list, and then I think they've got the coach wrong. I hope it proves me wrong, but I just can't see a world where Voss gets this right. Um, because I felt like our midfield's really staggered with him. As a part of it, I don't think he made our midfield better than what we were doing prior to Voss. So, I don't know. As a head coach, this would be his one last chance. And if he gets it wrong, then he's not going to get another opportunity at this level. So, maybe that is enough to inspire him to do well at such a big club. But I definitely don't see it happening for him. I agree. I agree with that too. And then the last part of Dim's question, predictions for the F1 season 
ahead of race one this weekend. So, I think what we will do is maybe a a instructors a prediction a prediction for what you uh, you know maybe a bold prediction for the season, and we'll do a constructors and a uh, and a driver to win it. All right, where do you want to start? Uh, let's go the bold prediction first. You got one to take it out. No, no, no. It's just a bold, like a big one, maybe like the heart. You know, Michael Mick Schumacher to get a point, or you know, uh, you know, something, something that you think could happen. I think Lando That'd Norris would cool. come second. <laughs> I think that would happen quite a few times this year. No, no. I mean overall. Oh, that's a good call. Because if the McLaren can fix its problems. I don't yeah. mind that shout. Yeah, and that's the the factor because. He started to string some really good results last year where he was pushing Verstappen and Hamilton when they were clearly established um, as the one and two. So I think if he can, if McLaren can figure out their problems, then don't be surprised if he, maybe, I think second's realistic, but um, definitely third in the overall for individual uh, for the world championship. I don't mind that. Does that mean you're predicting him to finally win a race? Yep. Yeah, I like that. I think my bold prediction is we're going to have four different teams win a race this year, and that is going to be Ferrari, McLaren, Mercedes, and Red Bull. And in that prediction, I predict six different winners of a Formula One race this year, which will be Danny Rick, Lando Norris, Charles Leclerc, Carlos Sainz, Hamilton, and Max Verstappen, and possibly a separate from George Russell. Yeah, Russell in the Mercedes is really intriguing, isn't it? I would have kept Bottas in that Mercedes car, but that's just me personally. But I do want to see how George Russell, who is a quicker driver than Bottas, go in the Mercedes and how Hamilton may deal with a teammate that could push him. Yeah, I think that sign from Mercedes means they're looking past Hamilton now. Which they have to. Which is fair because he, yes, has been there for a very long time and he has done very very well for the team but you'd like to think that he's humble enough to realize that he's not going to be in this position for the rest of his life and that maybe some of that priority starts to shift and the intent shown by backing George over Bottas because if Mercedes thought Lewis was still the number one for another two three years then there's no need to get rid of Bottas because he's doing such a good job to support at the moment I agree with that so for me, and you see it in the drive to survive when they sort of talk about um, how valued Bottas was and blah, 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 blah. But then they just decide to go with Russell because he's the next driver coming through really. So they just wanted to secure him. So that shows their intent for I, the next 10 years. I agree with that. And my, you know, on a sidetrack of that, I do predict that Bottas will probably finish top 10 in a race and top 10 in a qualifying session once this season in the alpha because he's too good of a driver to not get their absolute best out of that car as well. I think a lot of people underestimate how good Bottas is in a car. And with the hunger uh, in his belly too. Yeah, so I think, you know, I think Bottas is quality and if there's anyone that's going to get the best out of a struggling alpha, I think it's Bottas and they get any sort of performance out of it. He could be really good. Give me who you think is going to win the World Championship for the year, Paul. I think it comes back down to Verstappen and Hamilton again. Um, it's just they're just on another level aren't they really um, I'd love to see like I, I don't know how I feel about Norris but you just know that he's sort of that next bracket isn't he really because he's just getting that support from the team 
I think it's Max again, though. He just finds ways to just go to that next level. You know what I mean? Like, he just... When things really don't go his way, he does really, really well. Hamilton does too. You know, I'm not saying he's not good, but I just think Max and Red Bull and especially Horner, I don't know. They just bend bend things into their favour, don't they, really? They find a way or they just... When he really needs a result, he'll go and get it. So... Right. I agree with that. And I think it's safe to say Verstappen, and I'm going to say Verstappen, but I will make the very brave call that Charles Leclerc and Saints will bring it down to a race to go with Ferrari that could win a championship. I do believe that Ferrari this year will finish as the Constructors' Champions this year. Wow, that's big. I believe that that car looks that incredible. Saints and Leclerc are that consistently solid. They're going to win races. And I feel like that, like in 2010, it was who was more consistent was going to win the championship. And in the end, the Red Bulls were in that season consistently qualifying, you know, one twos and et cetera. And where the race, maybe they finished fourth or fifth because they had some problems. They were always there and thereabouts and other teams taking points of each other and be predicting six, seven different winners this year um, and, you know, four different teams winning races. I just think the team that's the most consistent out of that four is going to win the Constructors. And for me, I think that's going to be the Ferrari. So I think the Ferrari will win the Constructors over Red Bull and will have one of those drivers fighting for the title. I just think that Max Verstappen will have enough being Max Verstappen that he will probably win enough races this year to probably win the title. Yeah, so I'm going to use a very similar argument there, but for Mercedes um, and say the same thing that Hamilton and Russell will be up there enough to get the points. Um, but then Verstappen still to, you know, come out with it all. So yeah, I, I like that. I just worry about the Mercedes. I've had a lot of issues in, um, you know, in, in testing. Practice, I know yeah. you can't believe what Hamilton says, but Hamilton doesn't reckon they're going to be on the pace of the first three races. Now I've seen teams say that, and then they come to race one at next minute, they're, they're second quicker than the opposition, and you just go, okay, that was sandbagging. Yeah, but from what it looked like, looking in. The Merc cannot get consistent performance at the minute. Does that mean I'm ruling him out of, you know, winning the Constructors, Hamilton winning the, you know, driver's title and getting eight and retiring? No. Yeah, I just think this year is going to be one of those crazy years like 2010. Yeah, and it's just going to be who can be the most consistent and make sure that they're getting it all done. That's the main thing, isn't it? So I'm excited, you know, more as a neutral. I, I don't really have a team that I follow. Um, I've said that a few times now, I feel like, but I kind of just watch and I look at drivers in particular that I kind of like but I haven't settled on a team so for me that's why I don't know I haven't really come to a conclusion whether I'm actually going to try and actually find a a team to support per se or do I just want to enjoy it for what it is Um, but as a neutral in that respect I'm very excited for this season yeah as a Ferrari fan this is the most excited I've been for a Ferrari in since probably like 20 uh, what, 2011, 2012? Early days of Vettel. Yeah, like maybe even then. Even then, we didn't expect Vettel to win a championship. We expected him to win a couple of races. So just trying to think to the last one, I thought a Ferrari could win a championship. And to be fair, in 2010, I didn't think Ferrari was any good, but Alonso Those Alonso was days. that good. Yeah. Yeah, Alonso was just that good. I don't think I've been this excited for Ferrari since 07 after Kimi won it in 06. Yeah. So, yeah. Nice. It's a big call. Yeah. <laughs> So I think that's a nice spot for us to finish on. We'll have all the fallout because I'm sure there'll be some fallout because they always do their fun. 
on next week's podcast, which means it'll probably be a Monday. Oh, might have to be a Tuesday record again, don't I? I'm thinking. I to, we'll, we'll fit it in, even if it has to be a Sunday, but I want to. No, nah, I want to have it too. So. We might have to do another Tuesday. Yep. So just make sure that you've got notifications on because if you are subscribed on Apple Podcast, it actually tells you when I manage to upload the episode. So you won't miss out. So just make sure you've got them loaded. If you're on Spotify, just keep looking for that blue dot, but expect it either late Monday night or Tuesday night. Damo, anything you want to wrap up with or say goodbye before we jump off? Yeah, as always, just get into the Discord. It is buzzing at the minute, especially with all the sport going on. There's been a lot of Formula 1 talk. If you are interested in your Formula 1 action, I've actually been streaming Formula 1 Motorsport Manager, where I'm in Season 5 of Haas, and I have Danny Rick and Max Verstappen as my drivers. Yes, Danny Rick and Max Verstappen as my drivers in Season 5, and Danny Rick at the minute is winning the World Championship. So if you are interested in anything like that, check out the Discord. More importantly, you can ask us questions like the boys have tonight, and it helps make the podcast even better when you do interact. And before anyone else forgets, I finally made 100. I'm still buzzing, and it's always, and it's like three, four days later. From Damo, I'll leave you with Paul to end this one off. Done deal. So thanks, guys, for hanging out with us for another episode of the PD Sports Podcast. We will see you at some point next week, early next week, for episode 47 as the countdown for episode 50 gets one week closer. Catch you later.